Welcome to another episode of Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. I'm your host, Andrew. Sorry, I'm not looking right at the camera right at this second. I am trying to do two jobs at one time, trying to get this put over. But as always, guys, I thank you for joining us so very, very much. I encourage you to go ahead and hit that share button, especially if you're watching on Facebook. If you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and share that there link out as well. Uh, I appreciate it. We all know that we have been uh, facing quite a lot of pushback on Facebook. They're throttling us quite a bit today. We had one of our posts that was like moving. It was really going. And then Facebook was like, no, not you, brood. Not you again. You get back down there. And so we got slapped back down, but please hit that share button. If you're watching this on a replay, whether that's on YouTube or Facebook, I encourage you, you can also check this out in the audio only form on Apple and Spotify and all other podcast providers under Fresh Brood Politics. We've got a couple topics we're covering today. Uh, of course, with Fauci's emails coming out, we have some not not really new revelations for those of us who've been paying attention, but just more so confirmed information that we've all been called crazy for. Um, of course, mainstream media is making up a lot of excuses about the lab leak story as it progressively gets worse and worse and worse. And that ties into Fauci's emails too, because it appears that uh, China was thanking him for pushing off the China was thanking him for uh, pushing off the lab link theory and emails, um, which is interesting. Um, and, you know, social media should probably learn their lesson, but they probably won't on this one. And actually, in fact, there's they've actually had worse malfeasance. And at this point, I guess we just accept it and don't talk about it, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about the cyber attack on the meat industry. I'm going to go a little bit into the meat industry, kind of explain that a little bit and explain this prime act we've been pushing. Um, also, too, with the Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> um, you know, Biden made some announcements. I'm going to talk about what it means. What, what's the different rules they're making for minority bidding, how that affects it. You know, I've done some government bidding in the past, so I can kind of go through that for you guys and explain that. But we're going to go ahead and jump into it. But please, 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 please go ahead. Hit that share button. Por favor. I appreciate it so very much. Now let's dig into it. Mainstream media has got a lot of egg on its face right now. A lot of egg. It's just dripping egg. Like literally in the morning, they just need to hold their face over a pan and then they got their breakfast because it's just eggs just running off their face. Or this mainstream media just completely ignoring the lab leak theory. Now, of course, they're all coming out and saying, well, you know, when you've got a normal put, and these, of course, are these very serious news only organizations the 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 non-biased trustworthy mainstream media and they're sitting there saying hey we didn't follow up in the lab league theory because look who said it <laughs> the sitting president of the united states why would we follow up on something that the sitting president of the united states had said because, of course, they claim, well, he lies all the time. Look at him lying constantly. Why would we believe him? Why would we believe this racist? And they say this as if he isn't the sitting president of the United States, whether you like it or not, the time he is the president. And if he says it leaked out of a China lab, maybe mainstream media, you should actually investigate it. Actually investigate it. And what's so 
terrible about it. And the reason why they didn't want to investigate it, because of course we all know the real reason, at least I do. Hopefully you guys are following along at home. The real reason they don't want to, they didn't want to talk about it at the time is because they wanted to hammer Trump as bad as they could with COVID. They wanted it to be Trump's fault. Remember guys, that was Joe Biden's main running line. Trump killed 500,000 Americans. 500,000 Americans are dead because of Trump. Where am I? That was his whole entire entire running line fed to him constantly. But if it was China's fault, and if it was the experts like Dr. Fauci, who possibly knew about the leak, or were even funding the gain-of-function research that made COVID spread a little bit faster, then it wouldn't be all Trump's fault. Then he couldn't run again. And guys, I'll tell you this much too. I did not think Trump had a way back to the White House. I just didn't. I thought, hey, he's probably done. He's probably not going to run. I don't know if I think he should run again because obviously then he would have not an incumbent effect um, coming off of that election. But I tell you this much right now, the media is literally handing him a re-election and, and, a, and a road to the White House right now because it just constantly seems like he's kind of shrunk out of the limelight, but now everything he said is starting to look like it's true. So we have the mainstream media looking bad about about Trump, right? You've got social media looking bad uh, because, well, I'm sorry, not covering things because Trump said it. I mean, how can you trust the guy? He's only the president. And, and here's the thing, right? Regardless if you think he's lying or not, you are the media. You are journalists. You're supposed to investigate something, even if you think it's not true. But instead, you just disregard it. And it turns out it is very true. And you look ridiculous. And not only that, you mocked and suspended the accounts, Facebook and Twitter, people who said this was true. And are they learning their lesson from it? No, they're not. They're not learning their lesson from it at all. Or are they? Because we have reports that Trump's Facebook page is back active on Facebook. We're getting reports that it's back active on Facebook. And you can go to it. You can like it. You can follow it again. And that's crazy, right? Trump's Facebook page is back. They're just talking. They didn't know when it would happen. Why is Facebook doing this? Is that, Are they doing it because they realize that they're starting to look bad, that they're... they're constant uh, censoring of the truth is starting to become very, very obvious? I think so, personally, and I think they're trying to cover up for it. I think they're trying to distract us. Be like, look at us. We are but a gracious God of the internet. We have allowed Trump back within our midst. Of course, I know a lot of leftists are going to be pretty upset. He might. He might organize another overthrow of the government, if that's what you call January 6th. Worst rebellion ever. Ever. Anyways. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a sitting president. They're just ignoring it. And now what's worse too, what's worse too is by the mainstream media not reporting on it and by all these experts just ignoring it. And in fact saying, no, that's crazy. At a time when if, if you're Biden and, and let's look at their thought process, I'm not saying this is mine. Okay. Let's make that very clear. Not saying this is mine, but right now the federal government really, really, really wants you to get vaccinated. They're saying, listen, trust the scientists, trust the expert. And now at the peak where they're hitting those people most resistant to getting vaccinated, they now are sitting there with this big old pile of you've lied to us. You lied to us about the lab leak theory. Why would we trust you? Why would we trust you? 
And you go into the Fauci emails and you see that time and time again looking at the Fauci emails. You look at them and it says uh, about the masking thing. This is what's real interesting about masking too. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, well, Fauci changed. His, his science on it changed. Let me ask you this question. I believe Fauci has been in charge of the NIH since like the 1980s. Uh, he's been there for 50 years. He's been in NIH for 50 years. Thank you, Nick. He's been with NIH for like 50 years. So all of his 49, let's say he's at 50 now, 49 years of experience told him that masks don't work for COVID because of aerosols. And he can sit there and claim, well, it's because in the meetings they're worried about PPE for, for the medical industry. Yeah, okay, that floated until you look at his personal emails that are released and he's telling his own friends like, hey, you don't need to worry about wearing masks. Right, this was before he came out publicly saying, wear a mask. 37 years, 37 years. correction, not 50. He's been there, He's been, at the NIH. been at NIH for 50, director for 37 years. Thank you, Nick. Director for 37 years at NIH. So in 36 of those years as director, led him to the conclusion masks don't work. Don't give me this line about logistics when he's emailing his friends, telling them also not to wear masks. It's not exactly like that's a public statement. That's a behind-the-scenes conversation. And he's saying, hey, don't worry about masks. Saying the exact same thing about masks we're saying. Then people come out and say, well, you know, he saw new science. He saw new science. So in a couple of months... Suddenly, his entire years of experience changed his mind. He saw, what, one study about a properly fitted N95 mask that turns out to not even be actually true now a year later because we find out COVID spreads by aerosols, and if it spreads by aerosols, masks are ineffective based upon the own testimony by the epidemiologists employed by the state of Kentucky in our court hearings under oath saying they don't work because it spreads by aerosols. He knew that. That's why he's telling people not to worry about it. Say, hey, don't worry about it. Then he comes out and says, no, nah, wear a mask, you know, because, well, I was worried about the logistics. If you're worried about the logistics, you should have then been telling your friends to wear a mask. That was just before he came out and said, start wearing masks. But even if you want to sit there and say, well, it's because the science isn't settled and he was just following new science. Okay. I see that. But clearly, Dr. Fauci isn't the know-all. So let me ask you this. What makes the studies he looks at that back up whatever he wants it to say compared to the peer-reviewed studies, many of which exist, that actually disputed what Fauci said? Do they have no merit? Does Fauci just get to pick and choose? Well, if you're Facebook and the mainstream media, that's who it is. That's who's in charge of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, you sit there and you look at the sitting president of the United States saying, no, you can't trust him. We only trust Dr. Fauci, who, by the way, the leftists awfully hated about his AIDS handling pandemic for sure, for sure. But will social media learn their lesson here? Seeing these emails come out. Sorry, guys, drink some water there. Seeing these emails come out, there's one particular email of interest that's been redacted for trade secrets 
between Dr. Fauci and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook has been completely redacted for trade secrets. So for those of you who don't know what that means, because you haven't looked at FOIA requests, it means that certain things can be redacted because they're not freely available. So trade secrets, uh, attorney-client privilege information, personal information, those things can be redacted out of these. What was Mark Zuckerberg emailing Dr. Fauci about that would be trade secrets? Is it possible that in that email, and this is wild speculation, but we know the contents has to be trade secrets. Was Mark Zuckerberg telling Dr. Fauci they would keep a control on social media for him? Were they telling him about how their algorithm works and how they can manipulate it? Were they telling him, hey, we got your back? Because remember, they asked him to speak too as well. You find that out. I don't know. That's just wild speculation. I tell you this much. Ask yourself, what is Facebook emailing CEO Mark Zuckerberg doing, emailing what is considered trade secrets to the director of NIH? What part of the pandemic does Facebook have? What role do they serve, right? They're supposed to be a platform, not a publisher. What can they be offering? But, you know, like everything else Facebook does, this will just go by the wayside. Because some of their worst sins, people haven't been up in arms about enough. This is what I'm talking about. There's a serious case to be made that Twitter and Facebook single-handedly, by hiding true information, affected the outcome of the 2020 election, right? So let's say you're somebody that says, hey, it was a completely honest election. There was no fraud. Right now, now let's remember the courts say there's not enough fraud to throw the presidential election. And honestly, when it comes to voter fraud, this is just me talking here. There has to be a lot in a presidential election. I'm not saying there wasn't or was. But what concerns me is you have state elections like you have here in Kentucky that are sometimes primaries decided by one or two votes. I mean, our last governor, Bevin, in his primary where he won only won by like less than like 75 votes in a primary with a lot of votes. It doesn't take a lot of fraud there to throw off the election. And you are fooling yourself if you don't think you can pull off 100, 200 vote fraudulence, sorry, fraudulence in, in, a, in a primary for the Republican governor. You definitely can. So I do want my elections to be secure, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about something that has not been enough of an uproar for everybody. And that's that Hunter Biden story, just to remind you guys. About a month before the election, it came out that Hunter Biden's laptop was discovered, in which had very compromising photos of Hunter Biden, very compromising communications, a lot of eyebrow-raising things, something that you could definitely argue would have been the destruction of Biden's election if it came out to all be true at that time. But remember, that story was posted almost immediately. Twitter banned it. They got rid of the, the New York Post that posted it. They deleted their Twitter account. And if you posted about that story, you were gonzo. They immediately, immediately removed you. On Facebook, immediately removed you. You could not post that story. 
And then the mainstream media, while, while the, the online social media, the YouTubers, the, the place where a lot of people are getting their news from now because they don't trust mainstream media, they were banned from talking about it because the collusion of social media, while the mainstream media got to have their heyday claiming is Russian disinformation. And what happens when the election is over? Hunter Biden on was Jimmy Fallon. Hey, was it your laptop? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Admitting pretty much it was his laptop, like literally coming out and saying, yeah, it's my laptop. That story was banned. It couldn't be disseminated. He was smoking crack in it. You have the author of the 1994 crime bill that would throw everybody else in jail for doing it, and then you have Hunter Biden smoking crack on, on his laptop. Yeah, it's fine. You have some compromising messages between him and what appeared to be an underage woman at the, at the time she's underage. You had some interesting business communications on there. And what comes out after the election, not only is the laptop true, but he's under investigation by the FBI. And as far as I know, he's still under investigation by the FBI. Guys, your sitting president's son is under investigation by the FBI. Now, no, that didn't even happen with Trump. No matter how much they tried to get him, his son was never under investigation. Well, maybe he wasn't. They didn't say anything. I mean, I want to put it past the DOJ at the time. The FBI did not like the Trumps. But you cannot sit here and tell me that did not affect that election. But yet, you know, we just sit here and, uh, you know, we'll just take it. We don't mind. It's, it's getting out of hand. I encourage you guys to follow us on Telegram, t.me slash broodliberty. Telegram is a free app. Um, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a news feed. So if you follow us on there, basically you're following us. You get a notification anytime we post something in there. We do post different content there than we do everywhere else, just for that reason. We definitely post content that I know would get me in trouble on Facebook. For an example, the other day uh, we had jokingly changed our Wi-Fi router. Nick's giving me the no not to say it. Okay, I can't say it because Facebook does not let you say this, even if you're joking about it, because they it is a banned COVID conspiracy um, on Facebook currently. So if I say the words five, and then like, you know, several sentences later, I say something like G, and then like, you know, there's like other words said maybe or something like that. And I can say cause and effect. And then I say like, you know, maybe COVID somewhere. I can't say that. I'm not allowed to say that all put together. But if you go on Telegram and scroll up a little bit, you'll see the joke. It's a dumb joke. It's not even a quality joke. It was just a little dumb joke we made at the time. But, you know, Nick ran in as soon as they flagged it. It was like, delete that. You're going to get removed off Facebook for leaving that up there. So go to Telegram. But are they going to learn their lesson? No. And this is the worst thing, right? Facebook and Twitter is one of the few places where both the left and the right exist right now together. Now, of course, they're trying to, you know, censor more the right's message. But both the left and the right are there. And personally, though, I like having a Telegram so that way when Facebook throttles us like they do now or kicks us off, 
There's somewhere where people can follow us. But I also like the discourse, right? I've banned very few people off our Facebook. I think only a handful. The few people I banned off our Facebook have probably, there's two I banned because they were making fun of a, of, um, I, I made a post about a friend of mine named Ken who has been a victim of the, the COVID lockdowns in the sense that his surgeries were deemed non-essential and have caused a lot of issues in his life. And I did a little post about it. And then they start, you know, just making fun of him. And I was like, no, you can't be doing that. So I, I did delete two people there, ban them. Um, I did ban one other person because he had blocked us, all the admins of the page, which you guys don't know all the admins is, but this guy figured it out. And so when he would make a post, we wouldn't even see the post or a comment. We couldn't see the comments to comment back, which that's a no-no. You're not going to come on my page and then hide your comments from me. And, you know, that's pretty much it. And as you guys know, we have our, our set trolls. We got Chuck, got Neil. We got, I think Justin Baxter still visits us from time to time. Jordan James, right? And you know what's sad about those individuals is remember, guys, Facebook's throttling us. So that means every time you see one of those trolls, they have literally come back on our page and checked on us <laughs> manually. They are so dedicated to coming after us that they are manually checking our page every day. And to which I say, thank you. I didn't know you loved me so very, very much. And I appreciate that. But I like that discourse, right? A lot of people ask me, why don't you ban these people? I like the discourse. I think good ideas and bad ideas need to battle it out, out in the open. I think a lot of these things have more nuance to it than you think. And I think actually the people who disagree with us and us, we're not actually that far apart. We just disagree on the solution. We both agree that cronyism is bad. We both agree that giant corporations are a problem. We both agree that they need to you know, take care of their workers better or things like that. We just disagree on the solution. I disagree that the solution to government is more government. I disagree on it. And that goes into the Prime Act. Let me tell you about the meat industry, okay? So right now... Um, the meat industry, 85% of it is controlled by four key players. Um, two of those four, two of those four are uh, Brazil and China. And then the other two are American owned. The other one is Brazil and one's China. So they control 85% of our meat market. How they've done that? Well, there's this little pesky regulation that says that uh, if you're preparing food for commercial um, availability if you're trying to sell it, right? Preparing meat. You have to have a full-time uh, USDA inspector on site. Now, of course, that makes it very difficult for your local processors. Um, and they can only process so much in a day, but the problem is, is they got to be able to process enough in that day to pay for that full-time extra person, and they're not cheap. Now, why did the big four, as they're called, I call them big meat, why did Big Meat want this in place? Well, it protects, protects, sorry, their stranglehold on the market. And so one of those four, the one out of Brazil, I, I forget what the company's called, um, but the one of the four out of Brazil is currently had a cyber attack, which took down the meat processor. Now, there are some suspicious things about this, such as I don't quite understand what the cyber attack has to do with meat processing. Those of you who it's, it's, it's uh, you know, maybe in these larger ones, it's different. There's a local meat processor here called Marksberry. Um, in a former life, I 
oversaw the cleaning up uh, of a crew, crew of four or five people, the cleaning up of the meat processor at night. Every night, like five, six, you know, we clean the kill rooms, we clean the processing rooms, everything else. It was, it was a dirty job, that's for sure. And, you know, and it was a long job at night, but um, having been in those facilities and seeing it, though I'm sure there's some things that run on computers, I don't quite understand why you can't process the meat still. Maybe there's something with shipping and receiving that'd be a problem. I don't know. But also, too, as well, they came out and said their backup servers weren't affected at all. So if their backup servers weren't infected, affected, I'm sorry, you just shut down the system, you flip over to your backup servers, you keep operating. It's a really confusing problem, but regardless, they're doing it. Now, let's keep in mind, too, that the big meat is also heavily invested in this fake meat. Okay, they're already investing in that. They may have a vested interest in getting us off true meat because they would continue to make money. And of course, creating fake meat, it's the even more expensive equipment process. And it's very hard to break into. They can't allow your, because relatively speaking, if, if you could easily raise local beef, easily take it to a local butcher, and then they butcher it, and then they sell it, It'd be very easy for everybody in town to be able to go to this local butcher and just pick up meat. That's not quite what happens. See, your local cattle locally raised, typically they have to take it to a processor. Well, guys, the, the small processors that do this where you don't just sell your cattle to them, they're currently, based upon the reports I'm getting from people I know in the industry, backed up a year and a half to two years. Right now, if you've got cattle for slaughter and you're trying to take it to the local processors because you don't want to do big business with Brazil and China and the other two that are based here in America, the big meat, if you don't want to do business with them, you don't want to uh, be caught up with them because also they pay very low because once again, they control 85% of the market and you want to keep it local. You want to be able to sell your meat local. You've got these processors. Well, they're a year and a half, two year wait. So the cows you have now, if you want them slaughtered by them, you got to book your time now and maybe you get in in a year and a half or two years. They are that backed up. It's all messed up supply lines. It's all messed up supply lines. Here in a second, I'll talk about what's happening with shipping too as well. But it's all messed up supply lines there. And what the Prime Act would do would allow us to bring our meat processing back local because it wouldn't have that full-time USDA um, you full-time USDA, sorry, requirement there. And it would cause fresh local meat to be available all over the country. And you could then bring it more local with your supply lines. And I'm sorry, but I personally would rather have meat born and raised right here in Kentucky. Here in Kentucky, we have something called Kentucky Proud. That's meat born here, raised here, and then hopefully slaughtered here and sold here, right? To so support local. And we could see a lot more of that with something like the Prime Act. You've been seeing us post about it and you've been seeing us encourage you to reach out to the Farm Bureau about it. Because for whatever reason, the Farm Bureau, the Farm Bureau will not sponsor this bill. So I encourage you guys to continue to reach out to the Farm Bureau so we can bring our meat local. But talking of supply lines, um, I've got some contacts in shipping, import, exporting. And guys, I tell you what, we are in a bad situation for hyperinflation. 
I, I, I can't predict the future. I'm not guaranteeing to you guys hyperinflation occurs. But I do know what, what situation you need to have hyperinflation. You need uh, far too much cash being injected into the system. And guys, right now, I think something like 50% of all money in circulation in the U.S. has been printed in the last year. It's higher than that. Nick's checking out this stat exactly. But that is a lot of cat. They're just free cat. I mean, how many stories are you hearing about stocks like AMC and GameStop and Dogecoin making people hundreds of thousands of dollars or $30,000? That is not good necessarily when you have that much cash just floating around. It's not good. But that can cause inflation, but not necessarily hyperinflation. You need another thing. And you need demand to start to far outstrip supply. And this is where the problem comes in at the ports. See, the ports have been overreacting to COVID, as everywhere did, not realizing that if you shut down a port, it's more of a problem than somebody catching COVID when they have a, you know, if they're, if, if they're under 40, a point zero, what, 1% chance, right? So they shut down these supply lines, and what that's doing at the ports is it's creating a slowdown. That slowdown means that you have ships stacked up to be pooled. Well, the problem is now is they've got ships stacked up to be pooled, slow down at the ports because they're shutting down lanes due to COVID. But you've got you still got stuff stocking up in warehouses, raw materials, steel, minerals, things like that. But because they're also short-staffed, You've got the truckers that are outside the ports waiting to pull it off the port, waiting two or three days for a load. They're paid by the mile. They're owner-operators. They own their own business, paid by the mile. They're quitting. They're saying, I'm not going to wait two, three days for a load to be pulled off, which means the, the supply of truckers is dropping, which means now the demand for truckers gets even higher, plus they're sitting there longer. Guys, I'm here to tell you in the last two months, the cost of shipping out of a port, certainly in certain things, like I know flatbeds, for an example, has raised 300% in two months. 300% the cost of shipping out of a port. That's a problem. That's why we're seeing shutdowns at these car factories and things like that. Slowdowns with semiconductors, for example, take semiconductors. The Ford plants and, and these car plants that were buying up these semiconductors said, oh, man, we don't need semiconductors anymore because we're not operating, canceled their orders. So the semiconductor plants laid people off. But that caused panic buying on the market. So a bunch of people ordered up the semiconductors. And now they're back operating. They need semiconductors. They didn't have the order in place. The factories themselves had laid off people. They're trying to get people back. They can't because, of course, people are still getting paid their unemployment. So they're not coming back. And now they can't produce the semiconductors. And that's why we have layoffs right now going at the Ford plant in Louisville. Can't get their semiconductors. All these things attach. All these things go together. And that's what happens when you have the only person calling the shots when it comes to, when it comes to COVID response, being an epidemiologist. When that's the only person calling the shots this is the problems you have. See, people used to make fun of me when I said, how can you say Bashir here in Kentucky is listening to the experts if he's not even calling a restaurant owner into the room as he makes decisions? How can you say that? Well, you can't. 
You can't say that. Because he's not calling in restaurant owners. You can't have an epidemiologist being the only person making calls. We're going to run into these shipping issues for sure. One more thing I want to cover before we end up here is that's about the Fed bidding process because of racism. Okay, so in January 2020, we had $4 trillion in circulation. We're now at $19 trillion in circulation. In six months, in six months, guys, we have added $17 trillion into circulation. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, our inflation rate right now is higher than your interest rates. This is a problem. And I'm not here to tell you, I can't necessarily predict the future, but guys, when you have demand and you've got this much free cash just flowing into the system, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. Going to have issues. Anyways, changes to the Fed bidding process because it's racism. First, let me explain to you guys how Fed bidding works right now with racism. So right now, because it's a, it's a type of reparations, that's what it is. LBJ, when he did these types of things, said out loud he viewed it as reparations. Basically, the, the U.S. government taking your tax dollars and handing it out based upon the color of your skin, which by definition is kind of racist, right? Not only that, but it makes a wild assumptions. I mean, it, the government's really bad because they do one-size-fits-all policies. And for what works for one person doesn't work for another. For an example, Bernie Sanders says, how do we come up with income inequality? Free college tuition. Well, now you're making the assumption that those people want to go to college. You're taking away their ability to make their own decisions because you can't understand why they would make their own. It's bad. But so they've decided, hey, we're going to change up our bidding process. So how it works before was if the government's bidding it out, they had us fill out. They would have us fill out um, sheets that talk about what our status is. So if you guys ever hear me, um, I, I made a joke the other day about I'm, I'm legally a Jewish minority. Legally, if you're over 25% um, Hasidic Jew, you're a Jewish minority, and I am legally, uh, legally, my, my, my tests say I'm 27% Hasidic Jew. My grandfather was Hasidic Jewish. And so legally, I'm a minority <laughs> based upon that. But, but being that, putting that to the side, so you'd fill out this document that says your race and stuff. Don't worry, guys. I always said white. I wasn't going to use my legal Jewish minority status to get ahead. <laughs> but you go through, you fill out male, white, disadvantage, whatever, and you fill out demographic stuff. Now, why is this? Well, because what they would do is, is when they got the bids in, they had to show that they were trying to engage um, minorities and disadvantage, quote unquote, what they consider disadvantage, which I'm sorry, but just because you're born a certain color, to say you're now disadvantaged in business is incorrect. I mean, somebody I know and respect a lot. For example, I, I'll give you an example, right? Somebody I know and respect a lot that works in an industry that I work in is a minority. And his business is not 
disadvantaged. He he is very much so advantaged in the sense he came from a family that's kind of well off, owned businesses. I don't know if they financially helped him out. Probably not because I know he he before he started his own business was um, in an industry that pays a lot of money. So he probably saved up, started his own business, right? But he's a minority. He's black. He's not necessarily disadvantaged, but they still want to make sure we're we're targeting disadvantaged people. So they, they go ahead and they have you fill out this form and then that plays a part into their decision-making process for how they make a bid. And what I mean by that is, is they sit there and they say, okay, if everything else is equal or if you're within a certain percentage of price point, they have a bidding point system, but this person is a minority or a woman possibly, but in this one's a white male, we're giving it to the woman minority, and that is a legal requirement. So what is Biden changing in this, right? Because that sounds like something he'd be okay with. Well, it used to be you could bundle, right? What's that mean? So let's imagine the government is bidding out the contract for building a building, right? And so they bid it out, and it's a multi-million dollar contract. And they do their thing with filling out minority, women-owned businesses, so on and so forth, and they end up picking a even a minority-owned business, but a, a white-owned business, minority-owned business, doesn't matter. Now, typically, that's where the regulation stops. And then that sub, that contractor, that they awarded the contract to is free to sub out that work to whoever they want to. But not anymore. See, their greater increase says now that contractor that got that bid to build that building... that got that bid to build that building has to repeat that same process with all their subs. So even if they have a subcontractor that they use every single time to do floor work, but a new one comes along and bids a, a slightly lower price, but also is a minority. And if they don't show good cause for not giving that individual the subcontract that bid, they don't show good cause for it. They could lose their ability to continue to do government work. It's a way of targeting for reparations. Maybe you agree with reparations, maybe you don't. Me personally, I think when you look at the history of what we consider systematic racism, and guys, I, I can tell you, you know, in the 60s, 70s, when you've got redlining, Jim Crow, 50s, sorry, got redlining, Jim Crow, that was systematic racism. That was, as racist behavior, that disadvantaged minorities. And I can tell you this much, those actions can probably still be felt today. Lack of home ownership, so on and so forth. Redlining when they moved the factories out of the cities and then out to the suburbs, but then they couldn't move to follow them, right? You probably still feel those today. But that doesn't mean America's a racist nation, but more importantly, who caused that systematic racism. By definition, it has to be the system, AKA the government. The government enforced racism through Jim Crow. The government enforced racism through redlining. The government enforced racism through these racist practices. And the answer to systematic and government enforced racism is not more government. It's like you got a pile of crap and you're just going to shovel more crap on top of it and say, I fixed the problem. 
If the system is racist, why are you growing the system? I'm not even saying the system's racist right now. Well, I'm, I'm, it probably is. Probably in the other direction. But the point is, is that all these racist policies you point to to say we need to pay reparations for is caused by the government, and now you're turning around saying, oh, government, through your bidding process, please fix your prior sins. Maybe it's time you stop involving the government. After all, government was the one who enforced slavery to begin with. Right? It took the Republican Party, the party of small government, to say, no, 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 no. Racism's wrong and fight a war over it. I will never understand this. That is the most frustrating thing in the world. I mean, it shouldn't surprise me, right? I mean, the LGBT community is applauding Kamala for wearing rainbow jackets. Not saying I agree or disagree with this. I'm not saying I have an opinion on it. But, you know, Kamala Harris, when she was the prosecutor in California, was doing something that the LGBT community would take issue with, putting trans people in their biological gendered prisons. Something I'm not saying I agree with or disagree with. That's not the point. The point is the LGBTQ community certainly disagrees with it, but it's okay. Kamala Harris threw on a rainbow jacket, so we're just going <laughs> to clap for him, forgive her of her sins. BLM elected the freaking author of the 1994 crime bill. The reason why so many minorities are in prison for nonviolent drug crimes is because of Biden. And you elect them. When will you learn? The answer to government isn't government problems, isn't more government. Because somebody you don't like will take over. And I say this to the authoritarian right too. And you know who you guys are. I don't support you either because all you're going to do is preserve the system until somebody on the left can take over and use it against us. I may agree more with your policies on the moral aspect, but at the same time, I disagree with my government being the one to enforce them. I disagree with it. We gotta stop trying to look at government to solve the problems. They're the ones creating them. That's all I got for you guys this evening. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Please share this out. Also, go to broodco.com, B-R-E-W-E-D-C-O.com. Buy our coffee. Put some liberty in your cup every morning. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Have a great, great evening.